Welcome to Getting to the Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I am interviewing the owner operator of Hyde Handmade Knives. Please welcome Henry Hyde. Welcome to the podcast. How's it going, Rob? How is it going? So we're able to do this in a different medium. Uh, you know, this is a this is this is a treat. I've not had the privilege of speaking with the person that does what you do on this podcast. So this is this is new, groundbreaking, I might say. Uh, so so give us those vital stats. Like you know, as I touched on, I don't know I don't know too many knife makers. So how'd you start down that path in making knives and really describe like who your customers are. I, um, I got started in 2018. Um, I started as a cook. It was my college job was cooking down in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, and pretty quickly into it, I realized it wasn't what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. So I started getting into hobbies and creating stuff. And as I was cooking, I started sharpening knives for people. And uh, just figured, you know, let's try to make a knife. And I contacted a local knife maker, Quentin Middleton. Uh, and he was just like, hey, come on by my shop and we'll make a knife. And um, very quickly kind of just like fell in love with the craft of making it. And it was very therapeutic for me. And, um, you know, a year later, I moved up to Baltimore and then started my own business and Two years later, here I am. Yeah, uh, and kind of like that. Kind of like hearing that you know there is an opportunity to learn a craft from from someone and learn a skill, artisan thing. I don't want to limit it by saying it's a craft, but learning that skill set from someone and doing that apprenticeship, it, it's it's one of those things where I've heard it from a few different people in their respective uh, pursuits that they would love to have someone to learn these skills from and or someone to share these skills with and kind of have that exchange because some of these things just go away. Some of these things just die out. And it's like, oh, where do we get that from now? Who's making knives? Who does this? And yeah. uh, it's, it's great that you had that experience and also kind of learning that that other pursuit just really wasn't for you for the long term. Yeah, it was a good it was a great um I mean, I, I learned how to cook like a motherfucker, you know, like I can, it's like one of the, one of my redeeming qualities, I would say, is that I've got a great knack for cooking because I was taught by so many amazing chefs who had the patience to take this stupid stoner college kid and just be like, all right, kid, you've never worked in kitchens and now like, this is how you do it. So I really gained like a lot more than just cooking skills. I learned how to work. Mm -hmm. I learned how to like think about other people and and then getting into knife making, you know, it was like amazing that somebody taught me, you know, I, I think I talked to my mentor maybe like a year into it. it was like, you know, I would not be able to do this without you. And he was like, yes, you would. It would just take you three times longer. <laughs> so it, it, being that you have that, that background in food, would, would most of the, the people that you're selling to, would they be in the food services industry, chefs and things like that? Or are they collectors? Tell me more about that. Uh, when I started, it was definitely pretty much entirely food service people because it was the people I was working with. I was just like, hey, do you want me to make you a knife? And they're like, yeah. Um, and they told their friends and they told their friends and stuff like that. And that's kind of how it ballooned into what it is now. Um, I would say that before the pandemic, it was 50-50. During the pandemic, it was like almost none of um, restaurant workers 
but now it's definitely starting to come back. Um, I would say that now it's probably almost back to 50, 50. So how do you approach knife making? Like what, what does your process look like? And I, and I, I'm saying this from an inside baseball because I was there for a very abbreviated version of your process, but what does your process look like? And do you have a philosophy when it comes to knife making? Sure. So all of my knives are hand forged. Um, so I, I will really take a lot of influence from the people that I, that I watch, um, the, the, like on social media, I'll, I'll see a lot of other knife makers and, um, you know, I'll say, I like this about that knife or this about this knife and try to put it together in a way that I like, but really I kind of just let the, let the steel kind of do the talking when it comes to the shape of it. Um, cause forging steel is a lot like moving clay. Um, so sometimes it'll kind of move in a way that it wants to and not really the way that you plan, but then you can be like, okay, I can make something out of that. At this point in my craft, I'm pretty much just making whatever I think looks good and yeah. whatever I think would be useful. Um, even in customs, people will tell me they want, I mean, like I'll try to follow what people want, but for the most part, you know, I think that what people want is what I want to make, I guess, not really yeah. like. I think people want original work from me and they don't want me to just be like, Hmm, what do I think this random stranger wants? Um, and I think that realizing that's been good for my art that I'm, I'm starting to develop my style. So I read like, again, on the website, because you know, that's where I do my research at, uh, that your knives are both like pieces uh, or tools and also pieces of artistic expression. And each knife is unique as as you touched on a moment ago. Um, so how would you describe that, that signature style or what have you, like, is it a a Western style? Is it an Eastern style for someone that knows nothing about knives? How would you kind of like, you know, present that to them? Sure. Um, I would say that it's both and neither, I would say, you know, like I take elements of both and I also disrespect both. So (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Um, so I, I think that like now I can see there are certain knife makers where you can look at their knife and not even see their maker's mark or anything like that. And be like, that's that person's knife. I think that my style is starting to come out. Um, I, what it is, I can't really tell you. I dig it. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's, 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 it's going to sound so corny, but it's like the, the Bruce Lee thing of like, it's not to have a form. It's like, look, mm-hmm. I just do it. I just do my yeah. thing. Um, are there any particular like elements or materials that you tend to favor in your, in your process? Like, is there like, I only use these types of handles. So I prefer this type of steel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I only work with carbon steel for the blades. Um, and that's for a lot of reasons. One being that carbon steel is a lot better for the end user and it's easier to sharpen. It takes a better edge. It's harder than stainless steel. And I think it's more beautiful. It takes the, I can give the same person, I can give two people the same knife. And after a year, they'll both look different by the way the person cuts and what they cut and how well they take care of it. Um, and for the handle material, I do use both exotics and local woods. So I get a lot of wood from um, friends who are woodworkers, boat builders, stuff like that. And I also yeah. get uh, firewood from my dad where he's like, does this piece look cool? <laughs> so he'll send me a piece of firewood from his farm and 
I'll use that in my, in my knives. I really like, I, I really want to kind of like shift over to just using local woods. Um, yeah. I was watching this documentary, uh, about, uh, Japanese woodworkers. And they're saying like the only materials they would use was the materials that were from the area around their workshop. And yeah. I thought that was like a really cool philosophy of using materials like oh i want this kind of material it's like no i don't use that i really <laughs> love telling people like no, no, no. so you can go with the locally sourced knives you, you, you have that whole line right there you can yeah, throw that yeah. out there i mean like i just think that there's so much more meaning in saying like oh this handle came from my dad's farm than like oh it's from this piece of spalted tamarins from india or this yeah you know, even like this is from, this is Arizona ironwood. Like, eh. I just think it's much more, there's more character in that. Like, even if it's plainer wood, I think the story makes it much more interesting. Yeah. And it, it definitely follows on brand of like, essentially like being a brand that's gotten bigger and popping up in various locations here in Baltimore. It's like, yeah, this is something that is local within this region or what have you. And even if it came from there, it still tells that story it still has that connection. It's coming from, you know, you're, you're essentially, you're the, the main business person. So it's, it's like, this is a family business. You're being the one member of the family, but it's like, I got this from my dad, you know, so that works out. Um, so you touched on um, the apprenticeship, and that was huge in terms of learning the craft. Um, in some of the other stuff, in terms of like learning from different chefs and different um, opportunities in the kitchen. So with those things um, in the background and your knowledge base, how has your design approach changed over the like the last few years from maybe that first like knife or those first attempts at knives and working with stuff in the kitchen to like where you're at now? Cause it's, it's definitely an emerging craft that you're, you're ever growing then I see. Yeah. I'd say, um, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of flip flop between, uh, this phrase, like don't yuck someone's yum. And also like just being an absolute snob about knives. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I think my design process is kind of like that. Like don't, don't, write out any certain style don't you know there's merit to every way of doing things but also like definitely not also um i think a lot of it is like failing and learning what works and what doesn't and making some ugly useless pieces of metal and being like that really sucked let's not do that again yeah. I think that yeah. like just with any other craft, like failing is the best teacher. Yeah. Cause it's, it's hours and it's time behind it. So you're like, Oh, I've learned from this versus going to YouTube university or ha watching someone else do it. It's like, yeah, but you should try it. And even going back to, you know, I, I was nervous. We're going back to that, that time where we were uh, filming at your, your spot or what have you. I was like, mm -hmm. I don't know if I want to touch this. I was like, I'm so, so nervous. And it's like, well, you got to learn by doing it. And that's mm -hmm. really what I got out of you. That definitely is part of your, your ethos and, and your process. Um, and I, so I want to get this right. What I call your, what I call where you're at a shop or is it a studio? How would you describe your place? Um, how would I describe it or how would... I would describe it as a a a sheet metal refrigerator right now and a oven in the 
in the summer. Uh-huh. Um, I, I don't know, whatever you, whatever you want to call it, studio workshop. Uh, some people think that like studio is for art and I don't really call what I do art really. Cause I'm just some asshole <laughs> hitting on shit with a hammer. Um, but you're, you're definitely a maker. So let's not, yeah. let's not diminish that. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, worked. I felt like mostly a workshop. I would say. So within your workshop, it's a very like DIY. I've noticed. Like I immediately went to your your setup for the, the the piston. I was like, all right, this is dangerous, and you did it yourself. I was like, this is actually really cool. And I that that's the main thing that sticks out to me about that that thing that that visit that we had, and um and the sound. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I I gather from you that you're a very creative problem solver. Like you're, you're tinkerer. It's a, what is it? A necessity is the mother of invention. Is that a trait that has helped you in making knives of figuring out like, no, I can do this this way. People say you should do it this way, but I, I found a workaround. I'm a MacGyver this shit. Um, I, I don't know. I think I'm deceptively, I'm really not that handy. Like, um, <laughs> I had a lot of help on most of that stuff. Um, I have always been somebody who likes working with hand, my hands. I always remembered being a kid who loved Legos and like building cars and spaceships and stuff like that as a kid and making tools out of sticks as a kid and a lot of imagination as a kid. So yeah. I'd say like more than being a MacGyver, I'd say it's just like, having imagination and being dumb enough to try it. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's one of the benefits of like being an entrepreneur, small business owner that's in the kind of maker space in the, the craft space where, you know, you're not calling yourself an artist, but I think it gives you that flexibility where if you're like, I want to try this and I have the means to do it. Let's see if I can actually make this happen. I'm going to fuck around and make a sword today just for the sake of, of doing it. And just to see if you can do it. And mm-hmm. like one of the benefits of like, me having this studio set up in, in the home studio, if I just say, you know, I want to sit here and do like live reads. I want to just have a nothing conversation with someone that I'm not doing for a podcast or a purpose, but as I, it's kind of that aforementioned time in the process. It's like, I can get better at doing this and continually put that time in. You have the time, the resources and the access just to kind of mess around and maybe figure something else out by failing. But, but I like to look at it as at least attempting. That's the way I like to look at it. Yeah, I've been very lucky in my entire career being a maker that I've had a space to work at. Um, I think that that's one of the only reasons why I'm successful is my access to the studio and access to other people's workshop as well and access to other people's advice. Um, Especially during the coronavirus pandemic, my shop is the only one that's in my building. So I'm in the back of 405, but I'm in like the area 405 on next to the station or the tool library, mm-hmm. but I'm in like the back building in the loading dock uh, for people who don't know where I am. Um, so there's nobody back there with me. It's just me. So like the whole pandemic, I was just back there because there's nothing else. I couldn't go out. Couldn't another week. Could do that. But I, I, I just go. And that, like, I think the pandemic was really like where I started to hit my stride with my, my craft because it was all I did. Yeah. It was, I, I remember hearing like, it, it, it's one of those things where when people are doing something, they're trying to grow and expand, 
they don't you don't need to be all over social media need to be all out there and about it's like if you're putting in that that time to really work on what you're doing and that that leads into another question i have in a bit but that's that's what i see and like i became aware of what you were doing via social media and you were like gracious enough to respond back and i was like all right this guy has weapons it wasn't even like hey there's knives just told i can cut meat this guy has weapons so when i'm gonna <laughs> eventually get into the battleground of things I, I have weapons um so what is your favorite aspect of the knife knife making process and what's the most challenging part i think that the best part and the most challenging part are probably the same thing. I think it's like the process of making it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a, it's kind of a pain in the ass process to make them and it takes a long time, but it's very fulfilling to make them and to, you know, be like at the end of it, hold them. Cause like, I don't hold on to them. I don't, I don't get to be like, this is a great knife. I get to use this. It's gone. Yeah. Um, so I'm really into it to just kind of like scratch that creative itch and just get one step closer to the knife in my mind that I can't even see. That's my perfect knife that I'll never reach. You know, there's yeah. always going to be something like, Oh, I wish we could do this or this or that better. But like each batch, I know that I'm getting better. So the worst part is like one, never knowing I'm going to get there, but also, you know, there are certain parts of this thing where I'm like halfway through making and I'm like, I don't want to work on this anymore. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, okay, well, I got to pay rent. I got to do all this other stuff and this is how I do it. So got to do it. I I find like sometimes that frustration and that challenge, like in my day job, I'm a data analyst. And sometimes it's like learning how to solve problems on the fly. And like, I don't want to do this right now. This sucks. And I, ah. But then you learn something like, oh, that's how you do that. That's really cool. But you may have worked on it for like four hours and you got one little thing that's going to make your day in the future maybe better. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, this will be easier in the future. But it's like, what about right now? I my ass hurts. I've been sitting sitting down too long. My neck hurts because I've just been staring at the computer. And but it, in the future, it feels better. And it, it's like that weird spot where it keeps me interested because I could solve problems and I could find different ways to do things. But also it's frustrating because it's a lot of front loaded time and you don't see those immediate results. Yeah. That's, that's the only comparison I can really try to make to it. Like, cause I'm, I mean, I'm perfect when it comes to podcasting, never had a bad episode, never done, <laughs> never had a, <laughs> never had a, had a bad one. Um, so in terms of average length, Weird way to start a question. Uh, what types what types of knives take a short amount of time and what types take maybe a, a longer amount of time? Like, I remember you explaining it to me and I was such a novice at the time of even understanding knives, but someone sees like, let's say a large traditional quote unquote butcher's knife is that just like, that's always gonna take a long time just because of the sheer size or, are those smaller lives something a little bit more intricate that's like, no, the detail in this one takes a little bit more time. Um, I make all my knives kind of in batches. So like usually two or three week batches, if I was to do them one by one, sure. The smaller ones would take slight, slightly less time. Um, just because there's not as much grinding to do on it. There's not as much polishing, um, but you know, the handles are pretty much the same size. So those all take the batch at the, about the same time. Um, so it really isn't, 
it's kind of like how I think the steel is one thing. Like people want laminate steels where it's mm-hmm. like Damascus or, or San Mai where there's multiple pieces of steel in one blade. Yeah. That takes sometimes a whole day to just make the steel for the knife. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes more if you fuck it up. Um, so there's not really, there is kind of, but it's, it's negligible gotcha. in my opinion. That makes sense. That makes sense. Cause I, I think people get thrown off by what they see, but it's not the process that goes into it. So that's the thing that's always really interesting to me. Like really, what does the process look like behind the curtain? Like people see the end result. So like here, we might do a 30 minute conversation and kind of give people a, a preview of like the, the art, the, 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 the maker behind the knife. Right. And they don't know what it takes to kind of put this thing together. They maybe the research that goes in it, the typing of questions, uh, just the exchanges or what have you that really go into what makes that end product. So learning about how you do what you do and learning what goes into it. Like, Oh, that's interesting. Now it's going to make me a little bit more mindful of when I'm using a knife. Of like, yeah. Oh yeah. All right, cool. Uh, so this is the last real question I have, but then I have some rapid fire questions for you because I like to troll people. Uh, so I've seen your knives in various shops and around Baltimore, including good neighbor. Um, do you have any tips that you could share with folks for when they're looking to buy a knife, specifically a great kitchen knife? What should they look for? If they're looking for something that's going to last a lifetime, took that right off your website. Um, (laughs) what tips would you give them to look for in, in getting like a really good knife, preferably one of your knives? Yeah, definitely. I, uh, you asked me this when you were at my shop the first time, and I think I really fucked up the answer that time. Redemption. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I would say, um, the amount of money you would spend on a knife block, spend that on one knife. So instead of spending $150 on 13 knives, spend $150 on one knife. Mm -hmm. Um, and you'll just get all the use out of that one knife. Whereas with the 13 knife block, you're going to use like four of those knives maybe. Right. Um, and then you're just going to have this big knife block on your counter. Um, also don't buy knives from unreputable sources. I would say, um, I didn't uh-huh. want to say buy off of Instagram cause I saw off of Instagram, but like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't want to shit where I eat, like, <laughs> I eat, but like, there's a lot of shitty knife sellers on Instagram and Facebook and shit like that. There are a lot of great knife stores that have like physical locations that you can buy yeah. from where you can actually get like customer service from them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say those two. And then just, you know, look for something that looks good to you. Like knives are also kind of like stylized item. Like you're, you can kind of like, if something doesn't look cool to you, don't use it. Cause then you're gonna be like, that thing is piece of shit. Yeah. Um, I think like I'm going through that process now where with the exception of the knife I have from you, I still have it. I, mm-hmm. I didn't eBay that joint. Uh, I am going to buy like one, like really nice size kitchen knife. And I was looking at a few different places, but because I know a few chefs, I'm like, yo, where should I get? And it's like, Oh, get this one. It's like, you don't need too many. And I was like, that's a bet. I was mm-hmm. like, that falls in line. Like literally I'm going to have two knives in my home outside of the ones that I use for other purposes. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, a Henry Hyde knife and it's going to be whatever knife that I'm purchasing next. So yeah, you have that distinction. Every, everything else is just dartboard fodder. I'm just going to throw it at dartboards and see if it sticks. Okay. So 
the last part I want to hit you with is I got some rapid fire questions. And essentially the way that these rapid fire questions work, if you want to provide extra context to them, you can, but it's not necessary. And an example might be, Hey, what's your favorite movie? You're like, look, I like, you know, bridesmaids. It is what it is. I have a hard time with favorites. I have a very hard time with favorites. Sorry. Uh, so it's pretty loud in your space and you touched on like, eh, hearing's not great. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> when it's not loud, what are you listening to? Uh, you listen to music, podcasts, or is it just silence? It's like you like to have the deathly silence Ooh. of your own thoughts. Yeah, I listen to a lot of music. Um, oh. You know, 90s hip-hop, I'm kind of a big 90s hip-hop, uh, country, blues. I listen to a lot of Irish music, even though I'm not Irish at all. I don't know what that's about. like to get that jig in? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Irish drinking songs, the best. Um, (laughs) I really like listening to podcasts. I like having company in my workshop because it's like, like with that, but like not with a person get out of my workshop. I like having like the company of like somebody like talking. Yeah. That gives me a little something to listen to just to like pass the time rather than thinking about like how long this process is taking. Like I'm just listening to something while I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, And then I like, listening to like YouTube videos. Cause usually sometimes there's like good documentaries on there. Like, you know, listening to people's like stories on YouTube. I've been doing this thing of like, I fall asleep to audiobooks. I kind of, mm-hmm. for some reason I just like to have, like, I feel like I've learned so much by like sleeping. It'll still be on when I wake up, obviously. Cause I'll find like an audio book that's like nine hours. And, and I'm like, yeah, Robert green, let's make it happen. 48 laws of, you know, whatever. And I just take advantage of it. Nice. Uh, this is a favorite. Sorry, favorite material to use for for knife handles. I think you touched on this, but is let me let me let me reframe it. If price is not an issue, what would be that knife handle material that you like? You know what? This is my this is my like Rosetta Stone knife. This is the one that I'm chasing. This is the handle it needs to have. Sure. Um, I'd probably use a local wood. Uh, I found this really, really nice piece of ambrosia maple in a leaf dump like three years ago. Um, just super characteristic. And it was a free piece of wood that was going to be burned in a leaf dump. Um, and then probably a piece of makumagane, which is um, copper and copper and silver Damascus. Instead of using oh. steel, you use copper and silver. And it gives you like a really cool... You can also use it with titanium as well. And it gives you like... You can heat etch it and it turns like a blue and a yellow it's pretty cool cool. that's really cool uh got three more here what is your motto do you have a motto that you apply to either regular life when it comes to dealing with individuals or business do you have a motto and what is it um no but the only thing that comes to mind right now is try not to fuck up too hard that's a good motto though should be on a (laughs) t-shirt yeah This is a ridiculous knife-related question. Sure. Rambo or Crocodile Dundee? Neither. <laughs> I had I had a guy come in. I hope he doesn't listen to this. Uh, but I had a guy. He probably come, will. I had a guy come in to, uh, last week who said that his wife got him a birthday present. Or he asked his wife asked him what he wanted for a birthday present, and he said, "I want a Crocodile Dundee knife." And I was like, "Oh shit." Cause he he brought them to me to fix them and he gotten, he got, he got one and it was all fucked up 
So he contacted the company that made it and they sent him another one. And it was also all fucked up. And he's like, can you fix these for me? And I was like, no, no, absolutely not. Like, I won't um, touch that. Those are props. Yeah, I will not <laughs> touch those. <laughs> yeah. So neither. Uh, Last question I have, and because I got to bring it home, since this is a Baltimore facing podcast, you're sure. you're here, I'm here. Uh, what's one place in Baltimore that you think needs to get more love? Ooh, it could be an area, it could be a part of uh, the community. But what's something that, when people talk about Baltimore, is usually kind of the kind of the negative stuff, kind of the the shitty things without any extra context or any discourse of like, hey, there's some cool stuff that's happening here. What is an area that you want to show a little love to, a little shine to? Yeah, I mean, I really love, I work in Station North, and that's, like, such a cool area. There's so many, there's, a, like, so many good restaurants there, and it's just a cool, like, you can't really, like, it's very much like Baltimore. It's, like, the facades of all the factory buildings or whatever, but there are like hundreds of artists in Station North, Um and like, just like your thing says, there's great things in Baltimore. You just have to know where to look. Yeah. Um, like Alma Cucina and uh, Comfort Avon are like the two two of my favorite restaurants in Baltimore. Uh, holy shit, those guys are talented. <laughs> and just like all the artists that I know who are really talented. I mean, obviously there are more that are elsewhere, but a lot of the artists that I know who are super, super talented are in Station North. Oh yeah. So that's, that's pretty much all I have. I want to invite you to, um, telephone folks where to like get a damn knife, uh, where to follow you at in social media. And I want to thank you again for coming on to this podcast. This has been great. So telephone folks where to find you at online. Sure. I'm on, uh, Instagram mostly at hide period handmade. I think hide dot handmade. Um, my website is hide handmade knives.com. Um, Currently, you cannot take a class with me. I've had a lot of people ask, but you can take classes that are great at the Station North, Station North Tool Library. I'm going to plug them as well because the Station North Tool Library is awesome. Um, yeah. So there you have it, folks. I want to thank you again, Henry Hyde, for coming on to this podcast, and um, I'll do my sign-off. So for Henry Hyde of Hyde Handmade Knives, I am Rob Lee saying that there is art in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. <laughs>